Welcome, everybody, to episode 29 of Lair Chat Live. I'm your host, Eric Van Johnson. Sean, I promise you, will be joining us shortly. He's uh, wrapping up a few meetings. We just wanted to make sure we kicked off around the right time. Um, the important thing is J-Mac is with me. Uh, so I'm not standing here by myself, which is always a... Everybody seems to be happier if it's not just me. Um, <laughs> we, we've, got, we've gotten that feedback just in general. J-Mac, how you doing? Good, man. How about you? Doing well. It was great running into you at uh, PHP Tech. We have we got to talk a little bit. That was fun. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, gosh, so many conferences in the last few months. Um, I was down at Lone Star and then, of course, Tech. And it's just like you kind of forget who you see where. Sometimes you see the same people, you know, at some of those PHP ones. So Yeah, it all kind of becomes like a big blur of faces and names and conversations and yeah, you're like, yeah, I know, I know I talked to somebody about this and yeah, it's tough, but yeah. And then we got, uh, we got Laricon coming up here in a couple of weeks. I'm super excited about that. Uh, you heading over to New York? Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm pretty excited. I, I was, uh, of course, hoping to speak, but I know Taylor likes to get a fresh lineup each year. And, uh, but I actually, I lived in New York for about two years, so I've been back once, uh, since, but I haven't been, uh, since then. So I'm, I'm actually going up a little bit early to kind of see some of the old stomping grounds and so forth. So it'd be nice. All right. So everybody who's going to New York city for Laracon, who might not have been there before you as a New Yorker, what, what's the one thing you make, you suggest everybody should do, like try to find time to do this one thing. Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, simple things, you know, ride the subway, get like the experience uh, that, you know, definitely head up to the park. It should be really nice. Of course, this time of year might be a little hot, but um, or even just some simple things like just going to not necessarily the main spots like the Empire State Building or whatever, but you can go down to like Battery Park, which is is a little bit more down in kind of the Wall Street downtown area. Um, Walk through Chelsea Market. That's kind of like a local thing to do. Um, Walk the High Line. That's all in the same area. Or even just oh, like oh yeah, yeah. I, I don't I totally want to do that. I've been seeing articles about that. Yeah, I definitely want to do that. That's yeah, a so new thing, right? Well, the high, I think they restored it maybe four or five years ago. You know, um, but yeah, basically it ends in Chelsea Market and it goes like all the way up, probably just a few blocks shy of where the conference is going to be. So, um, by New York standards, that that's probably still a good mile, but <laughs> <laughs> it's probably only about eight blocks from. From uh, the Lincoln, or no, it's not at the Lincoln Center. It's uh, it's like the new performing. Where is it? I forgot the venue oh, for Laracon. Yeah. Oh, anyways, <laughs> it's up. It's up there, kind of a little past Hell's Kitchen. I knew that much. Yeah, cool. So obviously, uh, you're well known through the Laravel community for Laravel Shift, which is a huge contribution to the community. Uh, it's made moving from version of Laravel to version of Laravel. Uh, not painless, but a whole lot simpler than it would be trying to do it all by hand. Uh, I know you came out with some pretty big announcements for the release of 5.5 in anticipation of the new LTS. Do you want to kind of talk about that a little bit? Yeah, well, I mean, it's no secret. I kind of feel like LTS um, is a little bit of a trap. I, I wrote a blog post on it, which I think at the time probably wasn't what well received. Um, but I, I think after people moved from five one to five five, which is basically four versions of of difference of technical debt, if you will, 
um, they're probably going to start seeing maybe why I wrote that article. So um, I definitely understand the, the reasons for LTS, of course, you know, if you're enterprise or you want to support a product or, or even just you build um, things for clients, right? And, and you want to make sure that this particular version is supported for a long time. Like, and even from, uh, you know, the Laravel creator, um, you know, kind of team perspective, I can definitely understand why they would want um, to, to kind of um, have that product. But at the same time, um, you know, if you can stay on the latest, you may as well just stay on the latest. So, but yeah, I think, I think um, people might feel some of that pain, but shift is there to, to help you go from 5.2 to 5.3 to 5.4 to 5.5. And then maybe when you're there, you can just stay on the latest version and not stick around for LTS for two years. Yeah, yeah, I know that's that's tough. So, yeah, so the big thing is is just you you have a jump straight from five one to five five. It, was that? I mean, what's involved with all that? Is that? Are you just uh, kind of scripting all that out, or? Yeah, shift is actually really um you know it's a silly buzzword, but it's very polyglot. So it's not all mm -hmm. just PHP. It's it's uh, there's there's a lot of shell scripts inside of there. There's actually um a really small node um app that kind of runs as a bit of a daemon, if you will. And there's even a, a really tiny Go script um, that just did some file IO that was like much faster um, than, than some of the counterparts. Uh, and then of course, there's all sorts of like uh, PHP community packages that kind of, um, you know, help me build shift um, as well. Like uh, PHP parser, for example, is, is out there um, and kind of helps me develop that syntax tree. So. Um, so yeah, it, it uses a lot of different things. Um, but I've basically built this kind of, if you will, a facade layer on top of it. And now that I've, you know, made about a dozen shifts, it's actually really taken a lot of shape where I'm thinking about, well, I'm not thinking about it. I am opening that up to a developer platform. And that's something that I'm hoping to announce at LayerCon. Yeah, I was, I was, I was going to ask you more about that. I didn't know how much you wanted to talk about that. That's super interesting. I do want to take a quick moment and welcome Sean to the group. Hey, Sean. Hey, guys. Sorry about my lateness here. We had some uh, work meetings that ran a bit late. So I'm here. I'm catching up. So I'll let you guys continue what you're talking with, and I'll get caught up. No problem. Um, so, J Mac, I mean, the developer platform you, you've you've teased about a little bit, you've talked about a little bit. Is there is there more you want to share? Or are you kind of saving it all for Laracon? No, I mean, Laracon will be the demo where you can actually kind of see the code, and and it, I won't be speaking obviously on the main stage. Uh, it'll be at the science fair, which I think is a really cool idea. So hopefully, I've got a spot secured for that, um, which is just fifteen minutes, so nothing crazy. Um, probably just talk about. Real quick, high level, what it is, demo how to make a shift uh, of your own, um, and then kind of just talk about, you know, how you get that out into the new marketplace um, once that's available. So it probably won't be available right during LayerCon, but I'd still want to demo it and let developers kind of start getting ideas and getting ready, especially with 5.5 coming out and LTS coming out and maybe a lot of packages out there that maybe need to be upgraded. Like maybe it's an opportunity, I think, initially for package authors to make some shifts that help their code get up to date, right? Good idea. Yeah, yeah. Now I know you've you've since have expanded past Laravel Shift. I mean Laravel Shift was kind of or at least for me the kind of first introduction I had to you and and some of the work you did. But you've been doing a lot of things since then. Do you want to talk about some of that? I switched gears, yeah, I guess back maybe around Christmas, uh, so in the winter. 
um, just to kind of work a little bit on um, some Git videos. And that's, I call those getting Git. So it's basically a series um, of about 50 videos that go through really all the core commands. And there's, there's kind of two parts to each command. So there's kind of like a basics. So here's how you would use git add in a very basic way. But then there's kind of a master video uh, where you talk about more of the options. So git add dash p, for example, for, for patch and so forth, or, or git add dash i. Um, so a lot of the different options that are for a command. So, um, that's kind of the initial series, and then there's an everyday Git series where I talk more about like things like, oh, I deleted a file, like how do I get that back, or how can I find the last commit that had this file, or something like that. So, and those were really born out of a lot of the talks that I give at conferences or the workshops that I give. Um, really, just took all that material and kind of turned it into a video series. Um, you know, I, it's very affordably priced. I just I want it to be out there for. You know, developers that maybe have more of a visual learning or want to just see somebody typing on the command line and not necessarily like reading a book or watching slides. Um, you know, because there's a, tons of great free resources out there for Git, of course. But um, again, these videos are, are super affordable and, and just kind of out there to really get you from zero to 60. And I've had a lot of teams actually buy them and make them mandatory as part of like their onboarding. Nice. So Shift, Git, workshops, conferences. I mean, you're a busy guy. How how do you manage all this and still have like a life to go home to and <laughs> to do things? Yeah, I've I've actually had some uh some people ask me that before and I guess I, I've never really thought about it. Um but yeah, I, I don't know. I, starting a few years ago, I mean, well, not a few years ago, gosh, probably about 10 years ago now. I mean, I, I really started building products, I guess you could call them. Like I always built websites on the side. Of course, we're all developers and, you know, someone's brother's uncle wants you to make them a website. So, you know, I've always kind of done that ever since I was probably a teenager. So, but I mean, I think those really started to take shape and morph into what I think you could really consider projects. And I think those were more in um, iOS land at first, a couple years ago. Um, I really kind of did more of that at the time switched gears and kind of did that. That was actually when I was living in New York. So I, I spent more time on iOS development. And those products, I think, were initial, like those apps that were out in the store were kind of the initial thing I built. And those had a little bit of success. And uh, Shift was probably the, the first kind of PHP um, standalone kind of service that I built um, that was out there. So, But I definitely make sure to kind of quarantine those things off and, and still have a life, as you put it. So um, definitely enjoy doing all these podcasts. But I mean, I, I still have time to, you know, have an evening and I'm not coding, you know, for 15 hours a day, maybe like I used to. Well, not that there's anything wrong with coding. No, hours. no. <laughs> Got to make sure that's clear. Have we um, got, have we talked about the topic? I know I'm, I'm behind topic is about lean programming, lean methodology, um, product development that, right, Eric? Yep, that's kind of kind of what we're what we're starting to lead into. So yeah. Yeah, because um with regard to what um J Mac here was saying about building products, I want I'm curious about let's say you, you actually how many brothers uncles do you have to be able to build <laughs> websites for? But aside from that, so you talked about building website to building products, and um, now that's basically 
a lot of what you do. I'm curious about the, 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 the life cycle, because I know for me, when I started um, building products over websites, I tried to make them perfect and it would take a year or two years, three years. Some of them I just didn't finish. And so in accordance with our topic of being lean and so forth, um, taking a year to finish a product is not lean. <laughs> so no. I'm curious about your kind of life, life cycle. Did you have those same kind of growing pains where you had something and it just, you'd made it too perfect, too enterprisey, too much, and you just shelved it or stuff like that? Definitely. Um, yeah, and, and, you know, and just randomly as a tangent, I, I guess your brother's uncle would, would be your own uncle too, right? I mean, if you're <laughs> thinking through that. So, but yeah, it's, it's one of those things where a website definitely can be a product. So I, I just want to be clear that, that um, you know, I said that more meaning like brochure sites, you know, or something that, that we made in WordPress, you know, or whatever. So, uh, but yeah, I definitely, I definitely built some things really early on, like some side projects. So an example of one, and let's just say this was um, the prede This was like the very first Uber ever. And so what I called this was um, Backseat Green. And it was probably in like 2005, but it was basically going to be like this ride sharing app where you could coordinate with other carpoolers in your area. Um, but this was a while back. I mean, like I said, this is a good 10 years ago. And there were three problems with uh, that particular um, endeavor that I think kind of answer your question through an example. So first, um, and this is kind of a fatal thing, which of course we can talk about for a minute, but first thing I did was I chose a technology that I knew nothing about. That is not lean. So a lot of us as developers, I think, make a choice to like, oh, this new fancy project, I'm going to write it like, I guess, in a more modern, like I'm going to write it in Go or, you know, maybe a couple years ago, I'm going to write it in Node or whatever. Even though I use PHP or I use Laravel every day, I'm like making the choice to like, you know, go off and like do this kind of extra thing in like an out of the box way. And that really puts you at a disadvantage, I think, in the beginning. I mean, it's not something you can't overcome, but you're definitely tackling a scenario where you're formulating a product and you're also learning and if you're trying to do that under any kind of like deadline or um, milestone or even just you know just the frustration right because it's going to be frustrating to build something out of nothing anyways but if you're also dealing with a frustrating um or the frustrations of like a steep learning curve that can be a really big issue right it's almost as if you're saying there you're you're uh, a man before our time <laughs> no, no, I just, it's a, it's a common example. And without explaining like exactly what all the features of this thing were supposed to be, like you can consider it like a very web early, you know, 2.0 kind of uh, Uber type thing but before apps and so forth. Yeah. So I can certainly relate there because I remember when I wanted to start one of my products, startup company, whatever you want to call it. And, um, what I did is I went and found some partners to help me build it up and we made this big grand master plan and like, oh yeah, we're going to go raise funding. We're going to make millions. This is going to be the next Uber. <laughs> For except, not, not that we were going after Uber, but, um, but in the end, that product took three years to develop. And by the time we hit that third year and we felt confident to go to market, our, our, it, was, it, was, it went from one competitor who we could have knocked over really easily to 10 competitors who were doing it better than us. Yeah. 
And I think that was a huge, huge expensive lesson for us to uh, learn um, because it took us three years to get to market and that's definitely not lean. Um, I'm curious if you have any advice from your years of product development in regard to how to take this massive idea, in my case, the three-year plan, down to a three-month plan and get it to market. Like, what do I cut? What do I do? Yeah, I was I was about to ask the exact same question. We deal a lot with uh, startups and companies who are trying to do greenfield applications, and we toss around the, the the phrase MVP a lot, minimal viable product. It's like, what is the bare minimum you need to get this product to market? To if it's a product that's designed to start making you money, you know what has to be done to get that uh, cash flow going the bare minimum to get it out the door, to get that functionality happening. And even when we're trying to trying to express how important it is to keep an MVP small and focused, there's still like the feature set just creeps and, and there's just, oh yeah, well we have to have the ability to chat or we have to have you know this. And it's like, no, you really don't need to have that. Why, what, what are do you have any rules of you know this is how you focus on an MVP or or a lean feature set? Definitely, there's some practices inside of Agile, for example, that kind of push that. But you know, I've worked for a lot of teams, and probably where I saw it the best was actually the the most recent um, team that I worked with. And again, this might be a common term, but they basically called it an inception. And what it was was a, a set meeting. Uh, where basically, you know, business owners, developers, you know, designers, everyone that's going to be on this product, uh, whether it's, again, um, the client side or, or you know, whoever's going to be developing it, get all those people together and you basically go through kind of some core, um, you know, discussions. And I think the core discussions are effectively kind of like a high level of what the product is. And then you start whittling it down kind of as that meeting goes on. And this meeting might take, you know, half a day, a whole day, depending on how many people you have. It really shouldn't take more than that, in my opinion. But the point is you get everybody together and you basically work through these goals. And then once you have goals, you can actually refine those down to like even anti-goals of like, look, uh, for in your case, hey, chat, like that's cool and we want that down the road, but that's for our initial endeavor, like that's an anti-goal. Like if we start working on chat, we're not solving our you know, initial goal, right? So you, you have to start making those distinctions and drawing those lines. And basically the goal is, is at the end, you know, maybe you write on some post-it notes or whatever, you know, again, very agile, like you just write on some post-it notes, what features are, and you kind of, everyone gets to do that. You put them up on a board or you put them on a table and then you start categorizing those together and align them with your goals, right? And so it's just this process where you basically, the end result is to come away with some post-it notes that are features and you take those and you prioritize those and say that's an mvp and you kind of have this clear understanding and in a way this distinction um with i guess everyone else on the team and everyone was part of that so everyone was part of that discussion and you can always go back and say hey no look remember in inception we said that was an anti-goal or we agreed that you know this was cool if we get to it but if not it's kind of below that mvp line right so it's real simple. Forget the whole meeting. The point is, is if well, anytime I make a product, so when I make shift, 
I write down all the things I want shift to do, like in the very beginning. I wanted it to shift, you know, 4.2 applications to 5.0. I wanted to shift 5.0 to 5.1. I wanted people to be able to use, you know, all the things, GitHub, Bitbucket, uh, GitLab, maybe even upload their own files, right? And I wrote all these things down and I still have that list. Um, but the point was, instead of going off for three years and building this in a cave and having no life, like I drew a line and said, you know what? Um, initially, I'm just going to support GitHub only to prove that people are willing to, you know, authenticate through this. And I'm going to basically only shift the latest version of, of Laravel. So at the time, that was that was 5.1, which wasn't a very big endeavor because it wasn't like 4.2 where I had to change, you know, folders and namespaces and configs and all these things that would have taken me a lot longer. Plus, I, I didn't know anything at the time, right? So it's this trust in a way that um, you can you can be nimble, right? And when you do something for three years, that feeling of being agile, that feeling of being lean, that that ability to be nimble is completely out the window. So of course, you get in this like downward spiral, this negative feedback loop of like, this has to be perfect now because we've already spent three years on it, right? Like what's another week? Like, let's get it right. And those things sound good, but they really lead to bad places. They lead to failed projects before they even get out the door. Yeah, I definitely remember in my three-year project when we were getting close to that finish line, we would do a UX review with the team and it was like, oh, wait, 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 that one little thing, that doesn't look right. We got to fix that. Back to the drawing board. And okay, we'll, we'll meet up next week and we'll see if we're ready to launch. I think that went on for like a month or two of just, you know, back and forth and, and we really, Again, wasted three months there. Um, it, it's very easy to get caught in that trap of perfection and, and trying to do everything at once. Um, one of the things, that, and, and another project that I worked on, another startup, this one failed because we ran out of money. We had a, a runway uh, of funding to be able to build the product. And again, um, the stakeholders, we all, I guess, agreed, we need this big hole architecture, this whole overarching topic, and we couldn't get funding because the investors wanted to see traction, they wanted to see users, they wanted to see people giving feedback, using it, and, and paying if they could. And we could not get an investor in, we could not get in, in, into the investor's door because like, well, you, you're just a site, you're just an idea, why would I pay for that? Yeah. So. One of the things that we did a post-mortem on that particular project, and we're like, well, you know, we tried to build this video editing application through the browser, which had this limitation, but we didn't know that at the time. And we, we thought about it, like, why did we even need to build that? We could have, you know, like the whole video editing was done by someone on our team. We didn't have to build that whole browser platform. We could have just used, What's the Apple software, iMovie, you know, some video editing software. And we could have used that, uploaded that to our system and delivered that to the customer. And we would have been able to prove our product quicker. Do you, do you have any uh, opinions about using, let's say, a competitor's um, tool to help deliver value to yours or a third party software application to be able to say, Here's the video, or here's here's Laravel shift. I, I don't know. What are, what are your thoughts about that kind of uh, lean methodology? I, th I mean, I think if it gets it out the door, 
I, I think it's it really has to be strongly considered now. I mean, I think in some of the examples you had, if it gets it out the door at a cost, then you probably have to evaluate what that cost is. Like if it's a true monetary cost for a license and this thing blows up like, you know, with a bunch of users real quick and now suddenly we're underwater because we, you know, agreed to some really big licensing thing. Like you don't necessarily want to put, put yourself in at a disadvantage, you know, if good scenarios happen. But there's a flip side to that too. You don't want to like not get it out the door for fear of success, right? Because some of those things are high quality problems, right? Like my server crashed when I spoke at, at Laircon because I was running, you know, the 512, you know, digital ocean, you know, tiny server because it's all I needed at the time. But, you know, when all those attendees went to go check out, you know, Shift or went to go purchase the videos, it, it came down. And then of course, everyone's in Slack's so like, oh, you know, keep hitting refresh and all this stuff. So, you know, that's going to happen sometimes. So again, it was annoying, but at the moment, like you have to consider that's, that's a different scenario. Um, the point being is that, you know, don't put yourself, don't set yourself up for failure per se by like getting into some kind of like licensing agreement, but, um, you know, doing something or, or taking what some people might consider shortcuts. I, I don't see it that way personally. Like again, when I first built shift or when I built, uh, even the made the videos for the getting Gate website, like, I don't necessarily, um, I didn't go out and buy all the best video equipment. I didn't go and get like, you know, Final Cut Pro, like $700 worth of software. I just, like you said, I used, just use iMovie and it was fine. So, in fact, the first few videos are recorded with this headset until I just realized that that was kind of poor quality. So, yeah, I remember your tweet, and I know we talked about that on the last time you, we had you here where you had the Pillow Fortress. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, don't think I'll ever be able to forget that the imagery. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, yeah, exactly. Like I didn't go out and build like a sound booth or rent a, a you know a, a studio to record all these things. And I just put a blanket over a couple chairs and made a fort like I was eight years old, and it was awesome. So I'm curious on Eric's perspective as someone who's um, uh, an agency owner, where you have to deal with the clients who want all of these, you know awesome crazy features that are going to take three years to build how do you talk them down from that ledge to be able to say like look this is what you guys really need you don't need to do you do that yeah i mean you know a lot of it a lot of it comes down to money it's tough i mean it's tough to talk clients off that edge because they really they see that golden ring and they just want to reach for it and you know, from their perspective, they're paying somebody to develop it for them, so it's it's easy peasy. They can ask for the world, and you you really need to kind of start to break down the cost and return of all these goals that they they that they're trying to achieve, and that that kind of helps rein it in a little bit. Um, there's also the uncomfortable conversation of marketplace uh you know a client is like trying to release a product and you're you're really trying to understand where that product fits in a, a marketplace that maybe you feel is already saturated you know a client might come to you and says hey yeah i want to start up you know a social networking site it's like dude there's like a million social networking sites right now do you really want to do it? oh no 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 i really want to do this uh, you know we can really i really have a better idea for for implementing this it's like Okay, you know, we really should talk about this because you're going to be paying us to do this. And if it doesn't work out, you know, 
I don't want you to be mad at us. <laughs> so it's it's a real tough conversation. Uh, you know, again, the money money aspect of it that that's one of the benefits of being an agency is, you know, we're not doing anything for for free. It's not hey, give us a percentage of the business or you know any of that. It's this is going to cost you money. Do you really want to spend that money before we get? a product out the door that has a, a revenue stream coming in. That's that's where we try to lead clients. It's like, let's get a revenue stream coming to you, and then based on that stream, let's start to target what, what next features we can work on and what we can afford. And that's, that's really kind of our go-to uh, with that conversation. I think that's a really important point, and, and I've definitely worked for some agencies over the years, and even personally, I think if you can transition from, you know, getting people to pay you for a result to getting people to pay you for your time instead, like that's, that typically leads to far better results, actually, surprisingly enough. So instead of being a client saying, hey, we're going to build you a five page website with this undetermined kind of like, um, you know, application or form or whatever, right, it's going to have something built into it that's dynamic. Like instead of this thing we don't even know and you have a vision and we have a vision and we've never talked enough and are never going to be able to spec that out. Like instead you buy like a month, you know, from, you know, our agency. And this is difficult. Like, you know, that's hard to kind of pitch unless you just really, you know, have good relationships with your clients and kind of explain to them that methodology, that, that practice. Um, but even personally, like, I think that's something you can achieve. I've done that with all my projects, and I think that's something else that kind of makes them get out the door. Uh, they have to, you know, pass a, a cost-benefit analysis. And I know that sounds a little businessy for, like, developers, but they have to prove themselves. And if they don't have a return, for example, I don't put more time into them. So I get it out the door, and, you know, it's it's this little, you know, little child, and, you know, it's it's kind of got to fend for itself a little bit. Like, the training wheels are off, and, you know, if you can't, if you can't ride, like, you're not going to make it, uh, you know. And so a good example of that for Shift um, is, is really, like, the Lumen Shifts. Um, I spent a lot of time making those thinking, oh, well, that's kind of the next um area to kind of break into right the next kind of audience to apply to because initially i really just built shifts for laravel projects um but no one used them and you know it and it there could be a lot of reasons for that but you know or it could just be maybe not a lot of people use lumen i don't know um but the point is it didn't really get used so i just quit spending time on it like for example i didn't make a lumen 5.4 shift and maybe two people asked me, but not so many that would really make me change my direction on that, so. Interesting, so I think going back a little bit, we talked about the agency world, um, <clears throat> and it comes down to reputation, paying for hours instead of the product. Like you're taking your reputation, Eric as well, to the result, to the idea that I as a client will come to you and I will pay you X amount of dollars so I can continue to make dollars now that I pay you X amount of dollars to not make any money. Like that's just absurd. It almost seems like we want to sell ourselves at, at, uh, on a, our reputation instead of being developers that can build anything. Our reputation is to be able to deliver something that makes you money. Um, so with that being said, have you guys turned down jobs because it, it will protect potentially um, impact your repu reputation. You know, maybe you know that this client, you can't 
take them away from that that ledge of wanting everything you can't pull them back and say like look guys if you do that you're going to just waste your money do you ever just do the work or do you turn them down and say like look my reputation to be able to deliver or you a working product that you can make money from it's way more important i think when i was younger i i kind of took those on because again as developers um we find challenges and problem solving in a lot of areas. You know, we'll solve problems that aren't there, of course. It's kind of a joke. And it's true to an extent. And I think as um, you get older and you realize that your time is valuable, just generally speaking, not even necessarily like monetarily speaking, um, you tend to avoid those. So, you know, a lot of the times I'll, I even might have my own idea and I kind of have to tell myself like, no, that's, that's never really going to go anywhere. Right. Like, I have a bunch of other things I'd like to work on, but that's really difficult to reach for sometimes when, you know, Laravel 5.5 is coming out and I got to get that shift done. Like I could go work on this other project, but then I risk maybe not, you know, meeting the the deadline because you never really know when Taylor's going to release it, right? It might be LayerCon, it might be two weeks later and I got to kind of be ready for that. So, um, you know, so I think you have to make a choice is the point. Uh, or at least I do. Uh, you know, I'm I'm not sure. I'm um, Eric more on the client side. Maybe how he kind of maybe tells clients no. I'd be curious about that myself. <laughs> very very politely. <laughs> yeah, we've uh, we've walked away from a couple jobs. Um, more often than not, what what will happen is we will kind of do the initial engagement and go through um, kind of an evaluation process. Uh, we try to be very clear with our business model, our development model, and, and how, we, how we engage project, projects. And where business owners might think they understand that initially, it becomes very apparent very quickly. You know, uh, sometimes it takes us getting started on a project. Other times it's just a matter of discussing how the project is going to, to be shaped that they don't, they don't understand it. And, uh, you know, we've had projects where, where we've just said, yeah, this, you know, this, this isn't going to be beneficial to us. It's definitely won't be beneficial to you. If you don't feel like you're getting the value out of, out of our model, it doesn't really make sense to engage us. And we're really okay with that because the thing we tell everybody we talk to, all the potential clients we talk to is end of the end of day, we want to make sure you have a good product and, Ideally, we'd like to see that product developed on a PHP platform. Um, so if it's not, maybe you feel better having a single developer, like uh, you know, a single developer that, that you can have a little bit more ownership over as opposed to our model, which is this agency model, where, yeah, we might assign a lead developer to you, but we may have multiple developers shifting on and off your project in the background, depending on some specialties that a developer might know or some aspect of, of the project that's being worked on. And, you know, sometimes the, the person just wants that one developer who's available to them 24-7, who they can call the drop of the hat, who, you know, yeah, sure, I said I need a developer, but I actually also need a system admin. I actually also need a, a UI guy. And they just want it to be this all one person. So, you know, it's just, it's it's, you never want to walk away from money, but you also you also don't want to engage in relationships that are, are 
that aren't beneficial to both parties. And so you get, you've got to kind of weigh that and, and say, you know, are, are we going to be able to provide value to you? And are you going to feel that value based on what you're paying us? So it's, it's not an easy thing to do. And, and fortunately we didn't, we haven't had to do it a whole lot. I think we've walked through or walked away from, you know, I could probably count on one hand how many projects we ended up walking away from. Um, yeah. It's just a just a balancing act. To be fair, nobody here knows how many fingers you actually have on one hand. You may be missing some. So that's kind of unfair for our podcast listeners. I'm pointing one at you right now, Sean. <laughs> Appreciate it. I'm number one <laughs> in your heart. <laughs> um, I think so. Talking about uh, like this whole lean terminology, come in my mind, it comes from that book. Um, Eric Rice, what's the, what's the title of that book? Lean, the Lean Startup. Lean Startup, yeah. Yeah. Have you guys read that book? Yes. So I'm curious what any takeaways you've gotten from that book that um, you implement in your current, let's say you're building a product tomorrow, what's something from that book that was really helpful to be able to start your new idea, your new Laravel shift, whatever, right? I think uh, I really liked the five whys, and there are a lot of like anecdotes inside of that book. Um, and, but I think those maybe I mean a lot of the things ultimately kind of came out of Toyota. I guess is, is kind of where they all kind of came back to in that book. But anyways, the point is is that there's there's the practice of the five whys, and it's pretty straightforward. It's it's kind of a two year old approach, but you basically ask why five times. And normally when you do that, you basically get to the heart of the matter. And, and so it sounds incredibly obvious, right? But it's just something I think, especially as developers, we, we don't do, um, especially as, as young developers. Uh, you know, one of my favorite anecdotes is my TA uh, from like CS180 way back in college. All of us kind of went in and they were like, oh, we were learning C at the time. And everybody's like, oh, GCC is broken. And he kind of just like finally one day just got fed up with all of us new programmers and was like, guys, uh, what's more likely um, this 30 year old compiler is broken and all you new developers like found some bug in it or your code is broken. So it's kind of that, right? And and again, we can be stubborn as developers and think, oh, it's this, it's the database, it's that, it's this code, it's, oh, it's, it's a bug in Laravel. And like the chances of that are probably pretty unlikely, you know, when you think about the scale of some of the things we work with. And, you know, you have to force yourself to ask that question. And, and that's kind of a development example. But even in a product um, example, like, why would people use Shift? Okay, well, um, you know, they'll use it because the upgrading process is painful. Why is the upgrading process painful? Okay, um, it's painful because there's like a lot of like tedious things you have to do. Okay, um, why do you have to do these tedious things? And you just kind of keep going, going, going down. And ultimately, you get to the point of like, finding maybe where your kind of unique value proposition might be, right? That's kind of another one of those buzzwords. And I find, okay, Shift doesn't have to get your site 100% upgraded. What it really needs to focus on and, and what I've found by, you know, kind of doing that exercise and listening to user feedback is they don't want to do the annoying parts. I always thought at the very beginning with, with Shift, for example, you get PR and it has all the code updates. But if it can't update anything, it leaves you a comment. And in my mind, in the very beginning, when I built those things, the comments in my mind were like failure. It was like, hey, these PR comments meant I couldn't do something and that totally sucks. And I made like a, you know, big, a lot of analytics on those so I could make it better. But what I find now is 
so many developers when I get user feedback and stuff are, are saying that, man, I just like it for the comments. Like it's my own personal upgrade guide, right? Like, and that's amazing to me because initially I thought that was like a failure. Like, oh man, sorry, this couldn't upgrade. Like here's a link to the docs and here's like exactly what you should do for your code. But a lot of people are telling me, man, that's what I really like. Because no one goes back and clicks through those commits. They just assume they're totally fine, which normally they are. But they love those comments. And again, without kind of going through the whys and going through um, you know, user feedback and kind of asking them why, and kind of this continual process, all kind of ideas from that book, um, I don't think you you reach you know, the, that final vision of a product like, a product's never done, just like code's never done. Like you're always evolving it, and so I think it's this constant game of kind of asking why. I can I can totally echo that as well, J Mac. It's uh, I I've used Shift a, a few times. Again, I, I find it super beneficial. Uh, it it allows us to move from version to version a lot quicker than doing it by hand. Obviously, I mean that's what the service is meant for. But exactly what you said. I think maybe the first time I used shift, I might have looked through the commits, maybe half of them. The few times I've used it since then, I go right to those comments. I'm like, okay, what's going on here? Oh, yeah. Oh, I wouldn't have even thought of that. I need to, that's right. I should check that out. Oh, yeah. The comments are just super valuable. I, 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 I don't even, I'm one of those guys, I don't even look at the commits. I'm like, okay, if there's a commit, it's fixed. What, what, does the com- what are on the comments now? What do I need to address? Well, it's great feedback. I'm glad to hear that. So, but yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things where yeah, now in a way, sometimes, especially for that initial version, again, staying lean for five five, for example, I'm not going to go in and look at like the total code change log between five four and five five, right? Like, I'll let some hardcore Laravel developers shake that out for me because they're kind of my one percent, right? So what I'll do instead is just focus on the core things from like the upgrade guide and basically what takes a default 5.4 app and makes it default 5.5. That's my MVP. Like that's my goal. That's my benchmark. Anything beyond that's an anti-goal, right? Like that's not my goal right now. My goal is not to find the deepest, darkest, you know, method name that changed that, you know, three hardcore Laravel developers are using. Like I want it so most people, you know, it just works for them. And I've figured out what those kind of core things are. So making those are faster and faster now. But everything else, I make a really big comment for initially. And then I see who's getting the most comments, and I start whittling those down from comments to real things. And that's how I kind of choose to spend my time. So there's a lot of things going on there. I'm able to get it out the door faster because I have a little experience now of what's kind of initially needed. But then I have metrics and feedback built into the system that lets me know what's my next big thing I can tackle, right? And if you're ever really worried about it, you just make a pre-release, right? And it's just kind of under the assumption that like, hey man, 5.5's not out yet, but if you want to get a jump start and try this out for me, you know, cool. And it's also like at a super discounted price, like it's three bucks, like, come on. Interesting, I, I really have to ask, how many whys did you ask when we asked you to come on this show? <laughs> how many whys for the show? <laughs> what do you mean? How far down that hole? It was just it was just one long why. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's I love doing these podcasts, man. These things are awesome. Well, it's great to hear. I love just as much as you love seeing the comments. I love hearing the comment that um, this is actually useful for people. I mean, I know 
Eric and I get a lot out of it in terms of being able to connect with people in the community, um, on the podcast, off the podcast, um, and learn a lot of new things. Um, so what else can we talk about in terms of lean methodology? Like, Let's get into the code. Let's talk about code. All right. A lot of this stuff's been pretty high level, but I think uh, especially with, you know, not, not to get too much on this tangent, but just to kind of enter us into the conversation, obviously there's kind of been a lot of drama in, in the community lately um, about, you know, do's and don'ts. And, and these things always exist, right? Do, do use this, don't use that. And I think that's another thing is from, a, from keeping it in kind of the lean space that can be a really big burden, right? And that's kind of going way back to what I was talking about earlier. The, the kind of third thing is we, and even in your three-year-long project, we really try to like refine and perfect these things, right? What you have to be comfortable with is, again, not shortcuts, trade-offs, right? And there's, the, you know, there's always that tweets, like there, there's no solutions, only trade-offs, right? Like everybody's kind of seen that float around Twitter and get, get pawned off to different uh, cited names and authors. But you know, we've all kind of seen that. And it's true, right? They're, it's just trade-offs, right? And you have to be okay, for example, like, hey, look, I might not have a lot of tests for this thing. And as such, I'm going to put as many barriers in the code that I can that are like kind of cheap and easy. And maybe that happens to be type ins, for example, right? And not advocating one or the other. Clearly, I would know as a developer, I want tests like long term. And maybe I want, you know, to not have to write extra code if I don't need it. But it's a trade off in the beginning. So, the point is, is for me, I've really learned to just keep it simple. You know, I mean, I spoke uh, last year at Laracon on Yagni, which is you aren't going to need it. And, you know, it's one of those things, again, there's all sorts of acronyms there. Um, but, you know, KISS, keep it simple. Um, I really do that. The simplest thing for the first version of Shift was not some PHP abstract syntax tree parser. It was a string search and replace shell scripts, like that was fast. That was it. And I didn't worry about it. I didn't go try to build this awesome thing. It's since been refined into that. And even though I thought of that the very first day, I didn't beat myself up over making it that way. I didn't troll Twitter and like make sure I adopted what all these big wigs were kind of saying. Like everything's relative, you know? And it's one of those situations where just do what works. And if you know it's a shortcut, then, you know, put it on the tech debt stack and come back to it, you know? Um, and if you find yourself not coming back to it, maybe it wasn't that big of a deal in the first place. Like, there's just a difference in focus. So that'll start the conversation anyways. Yeah. So when I hear that, um, you know, I'm not sure where to go with this because I think I agree with I agree with you in a lot of things, and then there's some things that kind of disagree with, or um, I not that I disagree, I have trouble with, because thinking thinking about it, let's say from a standpoint of working in a company, and we let's say there's five developers in this company, and you no, know, we say to our CTO, we're going to do MVP, we're just going to get this out the door so you can get it to market. So the management level hears that, oh, we can get to market in three months. Awesome. Let's let's hire our sales team and get them selling and, and make some money so we can pay our developers more. Um, so three months hits, you have that really simple solution, hacky to do, bunch of tech debt. Now that product continues on past that. And they don't the the whole tech debt continued to pile and pile and pile and pile. That that scares me. Um, 
I don't know a solution though, because I agree with you. You want to get it out quick, but you don't want to own that tech debt for the life cycle of that product. That's definitely fair. And I, I think I've been able to mitigate that by understanding that I know I'm going to come back to this. So it's whether you implement a rule of three or it actually becomes like, you know, this digital um, check mark, you know, that's on whatever Trello board or Pivotal Tracker or Basecamp, whatever you're doing, like you have to track that debt. It can't just be like all up here in your head because then it's very difficult later to kind of go back and explain to management. Like, again, if if you can, if it's yourself, it's kind of easy, right? You can kind of be honest with yourself most of the time, I would like to think. But yeah, when you introduce more people, there's more complexity. And I think that that complexity can be managed as long as everyone's on the same page. So again, more kind of, of lean methodologies, more kind of agile methodologies. One of their core things is kind of co-location and very open discussion through stand-ups or retros or whatever. If these things are coming up where everyone's saying like, look, man, that whole service layer we built is like, crap, we're going to have to come back and fix this. Like if you're harping on that, like meeting after meeting, retro after retro, Sooner or later, business is going to understand. The business is not going to say, "Hey, let's build all that," because you're going to be able to say, "Hey, that service layer we've been yelling at about, like we're going to have to fix that when we do this." So, I guess communication is kind of what I'm saying is kind of your, I think, your best chance. And whether that's communication through your project management tool or or good old fashioned verbal communication, like, um, and stay on message, you know, pull a Trump and just you know keep saying the same thing forever. Yeah, no, I think also when you're having uh, a code structure, whether you follow PSR2 standards or you follow your own standards, having some kind of standard to a guide, I think will help out a lot because um, instead of, you know, developer one going off and developing his own way, developer two does her way and developer three does their way and, and it just, just everybody's doing different things. So then if you have a code standard, that uh, like a skeleton to follow, okay, your controller to here, your model to here, your controller to light, PSR2, blah, 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 and you set that up front, then you save yourself a lot of time down the road. In my I think some of the, yeah, I think some of those micro things are great to agree on, but there's always going to be refactoring. Like there's always going to be a controller that over time gets too fat, you know, and, and you want to go back to making it skinny. So letting code emerge is, is again, just it becomes this comfort thing. So at first it feels chaotic and you don't have control. And that's kind of like this, it's this weird, you know, um, uh, paradox, right? But I've, I guess, learned and found through my own experiences. And I mean, you kind of just have to experience, you can't really be told, but like, you know, I'm going to try to tell you nonetheless, like it's one of those things where if, if you learn to kind of trust yourself, trust that, you're smarter tomorrow than you are today. You're going to know more about the architecture and the code, more about the product tomorrow than you did today. And if you're willing to make like really small decisions and not have to worry about what's this going to look like in one week or two weeks or six weeks or six months, like we all kind of do in our heads, like don't go down that road. Just what's it going to look like today? And I think if you can shorten that times times uh, scale down to a point and kind of get comfortable doing that and not worrying about the rest. And again, get comfortable with it. That's that's the hard part. Um, and that just takes experience and kind of seeing that you're able to work faster, right? Because you will, like, I'm guaranteeing that you will if you can find that, you know, Goldilocks zone. But it, it takes discipline, I think, to get there. 
Yeah, you know, and this is a weird part of of the industry, especially the the piece that I'm in that that doesn't get talked about a lot. Um, if you think about it, from my perspective as as a you know coding cowboy who comes into a company to do some coding to fix a product to to do a release, but have no vested interest in that co company, there's really no benefit for me to have any sort of good coding practices or standards, right? I, I should just be puking out the code as quickly as possible to get the thing working, right? And the, the reality of it is we, we actually try to raise the bar for all of our developers. We, we try to adhere to all the latest standards, public standards, because the idea, the, like the PSRs, because you know, the, the thinking behind that is as we onboard more developers, the learning curve will be shorter with the public sort of PSRs as opposed to defining our own customized standards for development. And we do that because we're all trying to be better developers and, and we're passionate about this industry. But the reality of it is that the clients, they will never see that. They will never have an appreciation of the fact that you know their their application is PSR to compliant or or any of that, you know, we do it be, because it's it's just us. But the thing about the the standards and again, you know, I'm, we're running short on time, and obviously we can go back and forth about this all day long. Is you know, I heard we've heard within the community from from you know, key people about you know, don't get hung up on standards, don't get hung up on. Uh, PSR, it's because they change, and I, I think that's the I think that's the key thing to remember is, you know, these are not the Ten Commandments; these are not chiseled in stone. These yeah. are best practices as of today. There's nothing wrong with trying to adhere to them and understanding where those flaws or those chinks in the armor are, and changing the standards and changing those implementations. Um, yeah, you know, it's tough for me because. I kind of I kind of see it like I always look at it from like a sporting perspective. You know, you have your your professionals, your your major league baseball players who are the the elite of the elite and you know, being a PHP developer after having years and years of a reputation of just developing poor code and poor coding practices and standards, I feel like you know, we, we've done a huge shift over the last three, four, five years to completely change that repu reputation. And we are, you know, starting to adopt a lot of the better practices and better implementations. And when you get to things like type hinting, I, I understand both sides of the argument. It's like sure. we're, we're not a compiled language. I mean, type hinting doesn't really bring a lot to the table. But I also get the benefits to it and just the good coding practice that it brings to brings to the application. And it's nice to see that it does add some benefit to like IDEs as well. So it's, yeah. it's one of those, it's one of those tough things. It's like, you, you know, we, my biggest thing is I just, I just want to make sure those avenues of conversation around those things stay open and that they, those doors don't close because, you know, this group is getting tired of it. They don't want to hear it anymore. And they, they're just not going to discuss it. It's like, no, no, you guys, you guys are the ones we look up to. You guys are the ones that need to discuss this, <laughs> need to work it out because, yeah. you know, it's benefiting everybody. Yeah. I think those are good points. And I mean, I think it all feeds into the time bit, right? Like, like you said, things are going to change. And if you're accepting of that change on, on a certain scale that you can grow comfortable with, like, 
you'll kind of find yourself not worrying as much. So. Well, I uh, have to cut us off here. We're at the top of the hour. We're like right at it. We got to like shut it off and run. Um, but with that being said, I want to say thank you to Eric for picking up the hosting duties while I was in my work meetings here. Uh, J-Mac for coming on and, you know, sharing, dropping some knowledge bombs and all those cool things. Um, I feel like this topic is not finished. And like in my gut, I feel like we, we could have gone on. We, we oh. Oh. Probably should have started the code talk earlier. My right? bad, but uh, but yeah, but yeah. Hopefully, I'll see some of you guys uh, at Laircon. I know you got to shut it off, so hopefully, I'll see some of you guys at Laircon. Uh, follow me on Twitter if you got any other questions. I'm glad to answer them. I try to answer everybody. And uh, if you are interested in Git, I have a workshop on the 19th. Um, so, master Git, be there. Okay, uh, share that link with me. I'll share it on our LaraChat Slack. Sure, and beyond awesome. that, I think we're gonna have to get you back on and continue this topic. <laughs> We have Absolutely. to. Maybe a couple of other key personnel. Yeah, bring a few yeah. more people on there. Yeah, let's get some debate going. Hopefully some healthy debate. Sometimes it can spiral out. Awesome. You want to throw out a hashtag there, uh, Sean? Right. Our new GitHub hashtag, uh, Laravel New York, Laravel NYC. That's going to be a new GitHub hashtag. So go and win some GitHub accounts. We'll, <laughs> we'll do the tweet soon. Oh, J-Mac, as always, fantastic talking to you, man. I, I enjoy speaking with you. It's, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, man. Like I said, uh, catch up with you at LairCon. Definitely, for sure. All right, guys. See ya. All right.